welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Who's enjoyed our series on the book of Ruth so far? We entitled it No Ordinary Family because as we looked at the story of Ruth, we realised that this is not usual. What Ruth did and what Ruth did for Naomi and the way she conducted herself is very unusual. It's not ordinary. And I think it's being not ordinary that marks the Christian. And so I trust that through this series on the book of Ruth, it will cause you to be less ordinary and more extraordinary. That you wouldn't just be like everybody else, but that we would be different and that we would shine and that we would be more Christ-like. And on top of that, we trust that this has given you a greater love for the Word of God. The thing that I've had fed back to me more than anything else is, wow, I wouldn't have known that there is so much in such a small book like the book of Ruth. And I want you to know that there is so much in the Word of God. If we would just give the Word of God time, it deserves. And so I trust you've enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to concluding tonight. But let me just quickly, very quickly recap on the story of Ruth and some of the things that we've covered As many of you would know by now, this was written some 3,000 years ago. The author is unknown, although we think, at least to the best of our guesstimations, it was the prophet Samuel, Samuel who put pen to paper. And he focuses on the story of a man named Elimelech. And he took his family out of Bethlehem because there was a famine. And he went to a godless nation called Moab, thinking that because there was no food in Bethlehem, he was doing the best thing for his family. But it proved to be disastrous and fatal. Elimelech dies in Moab. Also, along with him, his two sons die. And Naomi, his wife, is left in a foreign city called Moab with two daughters-in-law. One's called Orpah, the other one's called Ruth. Ten years pass and Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem because the famine has lifted. And so she takes her two daughters-in-laws with her on the way there. She turns to her two daughters-in-laws and said, you know what, there's nothing for you in Bethlehem. Why don't you go back to your hometown and find a husband for you? Orpah says, that's a great idea. I'm out of here. She leaves. Naomi says, no way. And she cleaves. And they take the 50 mile journey back to Bethlehem. And Ruth recognises that she's got to be the provider for her mother-in-law. And so she goes straight to work. And she goes into a field where she begins to glean. And it's not just any field. It's been orchestrated by God due to His providence. And just as she was working, the owner of the field, a man by the name of Boaz comes. And this girl, Ruth, captures his attention. And he says, who is this young lady? And a little bit of romance ensues and he pours favour and blessing upon her. And then it comes to the end of the barley season and Naomi and Ruth get together and they think, man, we're coming to the end of our season. Uh, Is anything going to happen with this kinsman redeemer by the name of Boaz? And as Kath wonderfully told us last week, they conspired and they match made and, and Naomi gave Ruth some ideas of how she could connect better with Boaz. And being the obedient daughter-in-law that she was, she did everything her mother-in-law said. 
And Boaz, being the man of God he was, responds in a godly way. And this morning, Pete so wonderfully shared about dealing with the other guy. If you're going to have a relationship, you cannot have a third party. A third party is going to mess up any godly relationship. And so Pete talked about dealing with that other guy. If you, if you, if you fall in love with a girl and there's another guy on the scene, you've got to deal with the other guy. You've got to take him down, take him out. Because you can't have him on the scene when you're trying to have a relationship with a young lady. Is that how it went, Pete? Something like that, isn't it? And so we've learned many, many things. And at the heart of everything we preach, we try to be practical and inspirational at the same time as be biblical. In other words, we want to inspire you to put the Word of God into practice. We don't want to just preach great things. You say, wow, that was amazing. I know it was amazing because I don't understand a thing about it. We want to dumb it down. We want you to understand it. And for some of you, we have to dumb it right down. I mean, down, down, down. Because we want the Word of God to come alive for you. We want a theology that you can live by. We want a theology that you can grasp and appropriate in your day-to-day living. And what I've loved about the book of Ruth, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but we've covered things like wise choices. Week one, part one, wise choices. And I would encourage you to get online and to get onto iTunes and download all of these messages and listen to them again and again and again. On top of that, give them to your family and give them to your friends because there's some incredibly wise, practical counsel. Week one was wise choices. We looked at the providence of God and God's hand in things. Pete did a great series on work and welfare. And for me, that was one of the highlights of the whole series. I talked about the power of community. Last week, we had Kath and says talk about rating your dating. Kath talked about some practical things about what young ladies can do to prepare themselves for a man. She talked about the role of Naomi's, the older woman, helping the younger woman. And it was very, very helpful, very, very practical. And like I said already, Pete this morning talked about taking out the other guy, buying a gun, (laughs) something like that. And so what I want to do tonight is read the last 10 verses of the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth. If you don't like my pronunciation of some of the names, you're wrong and I'm right. So Boaz took Ruth. I'm going to have a drink. That's all that, that was all that was. I just... I just just need a drink. Let's all just talk amongst yourself while I take a drink. <laughs> so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Romance. All oh, the ladies said, go on, this sounds awesome. All the guys, let's get back to taking out the other guy. I like that bit. So they, oh, marriage. Guys, where do I get the gun from? Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. 
The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadad. Aminadad, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz. Bear with me. And Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Tonight's title, in concluding, is Happily Ever After. You see, all that Ruth has been through, it ends well for her. And I want to look at a few things in and around that tonight. See, the first thing, and there are many things, and what I want you to know about this whole series, if there are points phrases, verses, words that never got touched on that stood out for you. That's fantastic. We can do Ruth in a few more years and we'll pick up all those things next time. So we never ever include everything. But for me tonight, some of the things I want to highlight that stand out to me at this point in time in my life is this, that man's faithfulness leads to God's fruitfulness. What we learn from Ruth is this, that she went from widowhood to marriage. She went from barrenness to birth. She went from poverty sorry, to riches. She went from bitter to sweet. She went from idolatry to worship. She went from devastation to redemption. And for me, the big idea of the book of Ruth is that man's faithfulness to God and the providence of God are inextricably linked. That's what stands out to me about the whole book of Ruth. That those that continue to live in holiness and to trust God will never be disappointed. Because in His time and by His grace, His goodness will, 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 will eventually shine upon you. If you will just hang around and you will just trust God, if you will just choose to see God in the worst of circumstances and the worst of situations, 
and hang around long enough, it will get better. It might get worse first, but it will get better. If there's one thing that stands out to me about the book of Ruth is that for all the nonsense and all the junk and all the rubbish and all the lies and all the disappointments and all the letdowns and all the problems she faced, in the end, oh, it works out so well. It works out so well. I would go on to say, even if on planet Earth it doesn't work out well for you and you end up dying in light of eternity, it's not going to matter. If we will be faithful, I believe that it will lead to fruitfulness. The book of Ruth highlights that she just never gave up. She never gave up on Naomi. Orpah did. Isn't it amazing we don't hear of Orpah anymore? She never gave up on Naomi. She never gave up on Boaz. I mean, between the first meeting and that wedding, there was a lot of just work and seemingly nothing. But she never gave up. And she never gave up on God. If I could describe Christianity to you, it is simply this. One day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. And when everyone else is running off looking for feathers and gold dust and this and that and everything, something miraculous happened. If you will just remain faithful and the next day and you wake up and you're faithful, the next day you wake up and you're faithful, the next day you wake up and you're faithful, the next day you wake up and you're faithful, the next day you wake up and you're fruitful. It's like, what just happened? Almost like I wasn't even expecting it, but God just poured out some Fruit into my life. And here's the secret. When you get a little bit of fruit, you don't stop and write a book about it. You get up the next day and you're faithful again. And you get up the next day and you're faithful again. And when you feel like giving up and you feel like giving in and everything's gone horrible and you have a whole week of Mondays, you know, those kind of weeks and every day is like, oh my God, faithful. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I bother, but you're faithful. And when you feel like giving up and you said, I've had enough and this is my last day, God says, that's all I need from you, just be faithful. And then all of a sudden you're fruitful again. And if you'll do that enough in your lifetime, you have a lot of fruit. And what people tend to do is write a book about their life and they grab all the fruit and put it into a book and all you read about is people's fruit. And you sit there reading, oh, it's all right for them, my life sucks. <laughs> you ever done that? You read a book and you feel worse because someone else is doing so flipping well. Oh, it's great. And every time, and it seems like you know, every time they pray for someone, somebody gets healed or every time they do this, something happens, always wonderful. Not like my life. I want to let you in on a little secret of all the biographies and autobiographies out there. They leave out all those boring bits. 
for all of those incredible men and women of God that have ticked you off when you've read their stories. They don't say, you know what? There was one day I felt sick and I had to go to the toilet and I sat on the toilet for a whole week. That's not good. That doesn't sell books. So we leave that out. And we just put the fruit. But I tell you, without those weeks of sitting on the toilet when you're pooing and spewing and spewing and pooing, and you feel like you can't throw up anymore and then more comes up and you're just feeling... Some of the great men of faith live like that. They're just not written down and recorded. Paul, who's probably one of the greatest apostles outside of Jesus, has two years of his life written off in one sentence. Gets put in prison. It says two years passed and then there's a new governor. Two years of Paul's life in one sentence. What did Paul do? I don't know. But he was faithful every day of those two years. He was faithful. I don't know if he had bad days. I'm sure he did. I don't know if he felt like giving up. I'm sure he did. But he remained faithful. We don't know everything about Ruth's life. We don't know every emotional, you know, every thought that she had. But I'm sure that she went through some very dark days. And what I want to do is take your rose-coloured glasses off when you read the Bible. Because these are people like you and me who experience some very real things. But what we can learn from them is that they were faithful. Who knows what two years for Paul looked like? Who knows what every day looked like for Ruth? Who knows, maybe one day she just ran away, ran back to Naomi and actually had enough and said, I'm finished working that stuff. We don't know. But all we do know is she was around at the end. Hiccups and bumps in the road don't disqualify you if you just get back up again. Getting knocked down doesn't disqualify you. You've got to get back up again. And I believe if you will remain faithful... I don't know when, I don't know how. I'm not here to prescribe what that looks like or when it looks like it. But I know this, that God is faithful. And that God is able. And if Ruth teaches us nothing else, it teaches us that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Secondly, that God alone is the author of life. In verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, The Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. Well, what's so big deal about that? She got married. They do what married couples do. She got pregnant. No, 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 no. She was married before. She was married before and she never had any kids. We deal with a lot of people who are unable to have kids. God alone is the author of life. God alone. You know, people often say, you know, where's, if God was around, where is God? God's all around. We just get so used to His miracles. If you understand what it takes to make a child and all the intricacies and the biological, this, that and the others, and the, it's, every child that is born is a miracle. 
It's a miracle. God alone is the author of life. And at God's say so, in God's time, he allows this woman, Ruth, to conceive. And in that, we see once again the providence of God at work. Earlier on, when Says was sharing, we saw the providence of God at work in the meeting between Boaz and Ruth. We see the providence of God at work in the growth of the harvest. And we see the providence of God at work in the birth of this child. And I want to say this, when it comes to making a baby and when it comes to growing a harvest, you can do your best efforts, but you can't make those things happen. See, man thinks they're so clever because we've got all this technology and we think we're so advanced and we're so good and we're so great. But we're still so dependent on God. Only God can make things grow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God alone makes it grow. You see, for me, this is what makes prayer essential. Prayer should never be a religious ritual or a routine that we do. Prayer is utter dependence on God. Every time we pray, we're saying, God, only you. And so when we don't pray, it's not due to a lack of time, which is often the example given or the reason given. But it's actually to do with a lack of humility. If you're not praying, it's a lack of humility, not a lack of time. We need to stay dependent on God, recognising that only God can make His church grow. That only God can make our lives grow. That only God You know, there's some things that we do to connect with our culture, to connect with our community. And I think they can be helpful, but they don't make things grow. But God. And so when I look at what God has done through us as a church, I want you to know, yes, there's been many people at work and I thank God for every one of them. But at the beginning and the end of it all is God. And if we could truly remember that, we would stay thankful and wouldn't start to believe the press about how good we are or how bad we are. But God. I love the thought in Ruth chapter 1, verse 9. When they were heading back to Bethlehem, Ruth turns to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and says, go back home. I pray that God would give you husbands again. That's what she prayed. Her faith was, I pray that you could go back to your hometown and that God would give you a godless man just as long as you get married again. It was prayer, but it was a low-level prayer. And God responds to this low-level prayer by giving her exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all she ever asked, dreamed, hoped or imagined. I mean, when she said, go back to Moab, she wasn't thinking of an Israelite. She wasn't thinking of a Jew. She wasn't thinking of a Hebrew. She wasn't thinking of a rich man. She wasn't thinking of a man who was worthy and respectable. She said, anybody. 
And God not only saw her prayer, but he did exceedingly abundantly. I would encourage you again, church, to be a praying people and to lift your expectation when it comes to prayer. Believe God again. If you've been let down, if you've been disappointed, if you've had some prayers that have gone unanswered, pray again. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Who knows? Maybe just one day you'll be fruitful. Naomi prayed and she got more than she ever hoped, dreamed or asked. And thirdly, God is no respecter of people. It says that Ruth became the mother of Obed and Obed became the father of Jesse and Jesse became the father of David. David was a guy that went on to become king of Israel. And 1,000 years later, Ruth finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you can read that for yourself in Matthew chapter 1. In other words, Ruth left an incredible legacy. Wouldn't you like to leave a legacy? You can't make all life you can't make life all about you if you want to leave a legacy. Ruth leaves an incredible legacy. And she ends up being one of five women in the genealogy of Christ. Which may not be a big deal for many of you. But what you need to understand about that is for a woman to be in a genealogy is rare. Let alone have five of them. Let alone having five women that were questionable women. The five women are Tamar. Now Tamar dressed as a prostitute to have sex with a father-in-law in the family line of Jesus. Rahab was a prostitute that helped a couple of Israelite spies to escape. Smack bang in the genealogy of Christ. Oh, I hope you're getting encouraged. Ruth, was a despised, godless Moabites in the genealogy of Christ. The fourth woman is Bathsheba. She was the one that had an adulterous affair with King David. In the genealogy of Christ. And then there was Mary. Oh, there's something about Mary. She was a teenage virgin from a dumpy rural town. In the genealogy of Christ. And they're all found in the book of Matthew. And Matthew was written to religious people that were prone to self-righteousness. Matthew wrote to the religious people that had the erroneous belief that there are certain people that are less offensive to God than sinners and people like Ruth. 
And if we are not careful, we can become like those self-righteous people that think we are better than those other type of people. Oh yeah, we've done some wrong things, but we're not as bad as so-and-so. And I think the Holy Spirit enabled Matthew to make sure that there were five questionable women in the line of Christ to highlight one fact, that he is no respecter of person. That it doesn't matter what your background, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what you have done, it doesn't matter what you've been involved in, that you can start again if you would commit your life to Christ. I mean, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was this dumpy little town. I mean, we've got some dumpy little towns around here. I mean, some people think Adelaide's a dumpy little town. And some people write us off. But God. As our musicians come and concluding this whole series, I want to say that just as Boaz loved Ruth in spite of her ethnicity, so Jesus loves the whole world. Jesus doesn't see what we see. Jesus doesn't see height or weight. Jesus doesn't see where you were born. Jesus doesn't look at your bank account. Jesus doesn't look at the colour of your hair or the colour of your skin. All these things are massive issues for us, but they're not to God. Because He's no respect of people. He loves the whole world. He loves the Aussies. He loves the Kiwis. He loves the South Africans. He loves the Asians. He loves all of those that are in Europe. He loves the whole world. He loves those right now that aren't in church. Oh, you've got to catch this. We can sometimes think that, you know, having been in church for a while, that, gee, we're doing well, and maybe we are. Praise God for that. But what you need to know is that God doesn't love you any more than He loves a person down Highland Street getting drunk right now. He doesn't. And if you think that, you are in error. We just live under the favour and the blessing of God because of some decisions we've made. I mean, think about it, parents. You've got a kid that's doing really well, then you've got a kid that's off the rails. Do you love them any less? You love them. One's just living in the blessing because of good choices. And God forbid, we as a church get so proud and so up ourselves and so filled with self-righteousness that we begin to believe the lie that we are doing so well that we are better than other people. If God can have a prostitute in His family lineage and be fine with that because she acted in faith, I think He's fine with you and with me as we continue to act in faith.
You see, the same Redeemer that worked through the providential hand of God in Ruth's life is at work in our lives today. This story happened 3,000 years ago, but the God who made it possible is alive today and at work today. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.